friends. Welcome back to the show, Redrawing the Bath. Today, I have the special opportunity to talk to someone who en encourages me to be bold, encourages me to speak out and speak truth, and sometimes be aggressive in a, not, not in a bad way, but in a cultural paradigm for me where I was taught to kind of sit back and be silent even as people were being hurt. So to bear witness to the work of this person has been incredibly encouraging to me. I get to sit and talk with the author of Bad Theology Kills, Kevin Garcia. Kevin, thank you so much for being on with me. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Seriously, I'm Absolutely. really, really glad to be here. No, I'm 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 super pumped to have you. Isn't it um, funny that we say here, like we're actually yeah. in the same room? Yeah, it's but, it's it's a bizarre sorry. No, I was just gonna say I just think it's so funny. Like the concept of here now has become digital well, like Sorry, random thing, and then I'll let you keep talking. The brain, <laughs> I just find this fascinating. The brain has no con, like, can't tell the difference between a digital space and a physical space. And so, as far as my brain is concerned, you're literally sitting across from me. It makes no difference. Um, so, that's, that's why crazy. on social media, when you see something traumatic or violent, it impacts you like you were actually seeing, because guess what? Your brain can't tell the difference and you actually saw it. Hmm. So we're being traumatized all the time and we don't even realize it. It's very interesting. Hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't know that. That's that it, it's like we're, we were meant to be like transcendent beings or something. Something it's, like it, right? Something like that. And, and speaking of transcendence, I, I always start with this question. Um, what has your spiritual journey been like in life? Like where, where did you start to, to where you are now? Mm, I mean, how much time do you have? Do you want, like, <laughs> do you want the um, macro version where it's just like the, the big plot points or do you want to like me to focus in on a very particular area or just general overview of my journey as a uh, person, human spirit thing? <laughs> I mean, either way, I, I want to be, again, I want to be sensitive with, with the sure. time that I have with you. So uh, whichever yeah. you think would be better. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I won't give you my whole, um, my whole gay testimony. <laughs> um, I'll give you, I'll say that I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household mm -hmm. and met Jesus when I was nine years old. And I'm convinced that it was the actual Jesus because I had a full-blown spiritual experience that I remember. And I used mm -hmm. to invalidate that experience all the time. And then I realized, oh, wait, that wasn't weird at all. That was actually quite real. That might have been the realest thing to ever happen to me. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, high school, around 13, 14 years old, I realized I'm attracted to boys. That's not good because Christians can't be gay. It's against the rules. And mm -hmm. I had to take a burp second. Hold on a second. Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> Keep it in, edit it. I don't care. Um, but I realized in high school, um, I noticed boys for the first time and I was like, this is going to be a problem for the rest of my life, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> and lo and behold, um, yeah, I, um, I like boys I'm, I'm a queer human and, um, uh, long story short, my parents found out I was in ex-gay therapy for 12 years in different forms and formats mm. all the way up until like through college i had a mild well not even a mild wild phase i had a i had a wild phase and then it turned into a mild wild phase because like i kind of lived a double life of being like a frat star 
and like, you know, budding homosexual um, while also being a good Christian, you know, Mm. TM for my Pentecostal (laughs) church. Um, And it was so interesting because like for me, it was always this journey of like, God, if I could just get there, then my spiritual spiritual journey would be complete. If I could just get there, if I could just, you know, Mm. get rid of this one sinful thing that's happening to me, if I could just get past this thing. And I didn't realize the entire time I was trying, the thing I was trying to get past was my literal humanity. Like I wanted Mm. to get away from my body so much and I didn't realize that my body was actually the answer. Mm. My body held so much wisdom and truth, but I was so afraid of it. I was taught by my religion, by, you know, evangelical Christianity, that to, that your body and your heart was deceitful above all things. The flesh is evil. And now we know, like, you know, go back and translate what Paul actually said. He was probably, he's not saying like the flesh is in your body, but just like your desire for bullshit, which yeah. is your ego. Like, the, you know, your ego is deceitful above all things. Hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, so I, I had this very fearful way of looking at God for most of my life. I became a missionary. I, you know, went around the world, saw and witnessed miracles, which I still like. I get weirded out when I think about those things. I'm just like, that shit really happened. And I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, But I, you know, um, a friend of mine um, told me just accept it. It's a gift. Like miracles are the things that are beyond explanation. And I'm like, ah, okay. So, um, so fast forward a little bit further. um, I try to work for the missions organization that I, um, that I was working with when I was a missionary, uh, dated a woman, pretty hardcore, almost got engaged because that's what you do when you're a good gay Christian hiding in the closet is you find find your mighty Boaz, but in lady form, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, on, I, I just, you know, on one of, uh, there was one day I was just like, oh my God, I can't keep fucking doing this. This isn't real. Hmm. Um. And so I started my coming out process. And like the same time that I, I, I broke up with her, there was a LGBTQ conference, um, an LGBTQ Christian conference that was coming through town. And I went there and that was the night that everything changed because it was like, oh my gosh, queer Christians exist. I was in a room mm. full of queer Christians. And I'm like, this is what? Wait, you love Jesus, but like you also, you're engaged to that woman and you're a woman too. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. and it just like it blew my mind and I cried so much mm. um, and so I became a good gay Christian for a while and really really uh, I, I like from the day that I came out on my blog I was advocating for queer inclusion within the church um, even going mm-hmm. to a non-inclusive church as a means of trying to change them Um, But what I realized over the course of like three or four years of this is that um, I learned a lot more about uh, racial justice and the intersection of uh, queer justice and justice for black lives and indigenous lives and women and every other marginalized uh, identity. Mm. Um, And so for me, coming out and learning about how God saw me already in the kingdom you know, kingdom, whatever language you want to use. God already saw me as part of the mm-hmm. beloved. It lit a fire under my ass to say, oh my God, 
You mean to tell me the entire time I didn't have to do anything to get God to love me? Like Mm -hmm. not even being a good Christian or a good gay Christian? Like I don't even got to do that? And so that's when things really started to shift. Um, You know, first comes like, you know, what if hell doesn't exist? Then comes, you know, (laughs) universalism, right? So yeah. so I kind of, I kind of slipped. I started reading the mystics. Um, I started crying mm. a lot about what I didn't understand. I started crying about the things that I thought that I missed out on. Um, and then I had a wonderful mystical experience with the help of a controlled substance. Um, mm-hmm. And that entire experience changed my life. I realized that I was a witch while in seminary and here we are today. Um <laughs> Basically, I love Jesus a whole lot. Am I a Christian? Who knows? Maybe 49% of the time, probably. Sure. Mm. Um, but in general, my life is, my spiritual practice is is wide and deep and weird and delightful. And I get a lot of joy out of it. Like, I really do feel like I'm experiencing heaven on earth, like, mm. on a pretty consistent basis, because it's like, do I like, do I want to see it or not? And I do. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, in under 10 minutes, that's my thing. I, yeah, I, I read tarot. Um, mm-hmm. I do spiritual energy work with, no, I don't. I want to get into that. I work mm. with people's spiritual energy, but I'm not an energy worker. I just want to say that for the record. That's an actual <laughs> thing you get trained in. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my work is centered around reparenting the self and relearning, you know, what are the stories that you've been telling yourself the whole time that aren't true? You know, what are the lies that yeah. you've been agreeing with? And would you like, my question to people is always, would you, why would, why would you want to believe something awful when you can believe something wonderful instead? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Oh, I hear you so much on that. So, Gosh, Kevin, there's so many places I want to go with. Like, there's so many different directions I want to go with everything you just said. Yeah, it's a um, lot. It's a lot. <laughs> no, but but thank you for, for sharing yeah. all of that. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it's powerful um, in so many different ways. Um, it, you mentioned a lot of change. I mean, you mentioned the, the things that you realized in seminary that most seminarians don't wind up realizing mm-hmm. um, and, and all these theological and, and lifestyle changes and, and kind of just changes in the world. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested because I feel like for a lot of us who are kind of going through similar uh, experiences, it, it be, it's lonely. It's very lonely. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear from you as you were kind of processing through these things. And, and as you said, you were going to a non-inclusive church um, and you were kind of interacting with that world still as you were changing your beliefs. Um, how, what was the response from people around you and how did you internalize that? The response from people at that church was twofold. Um, well, first, like I started at, I'm just naming it. It was Grace Midtown Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I have no shame saying that I've put it on the internet before and I still think they need to repent. Uh. Mm. <laughs> so Anne Lamott, Okay, so I've got two voices in my head at all times when I'm talking. It's voice number one is the voice of Anne Lamott. And she says, if they wanted you to write more kindly about them, they should have behaved better. 
And I'm like, bitch, that's it. Tell the truth. <laughs> and then I have the voice of our dear sister and friend, the late Rachel Held Evans, who told mm-hmm. me to my face, Kevin, you can't talk about people from your wounds because then you're just going to bleed all over your reader. And I'm like, oh, fuck you, Rachel. Yeah. And so sometimes that voice comes into my mind and I still say that to the spirit of our departed sister. I'm like, girl, why you got to call me into my my woman of valor? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyways, <clears throat> but today we're, we're leaning more Anne Lamott. And also, it's whatever. So Grace Midtown, I was going there. They had a little like, do you want to become a small group leader? And as an ex-missionary and a queer human who also loved God and the church, I was like, hell yeah, I want to be a small group leader or a house. They called it house churches, house church leader. Mm -hmm. And the whole requirement, this is how they screened you to see if you were like, you know, a person who should do that sort of thing. Uh, We went to a, a mixer and they said, who wants to, who do who in the room feels like the Lord is leading them to just be uh, a house church leader? And my hand went up because it's like, duh, I got like yeah. over 20, like I've been in church since like before I was born. I've got 25, like basically, you know, over a decade of ministry experience. Why wouldn't I lead a group slash I want to, I love teaching. It's one of my gifts. Mm. And so, um, you know, we go through the process. I sit down with a pastor and ask him point blank, am I ever going to hit a glass ceiling at Grace Midtown? Because the people who are leading the, the house church formation said I should talk to you to make sure that there wasn't anything wrong. And he said, and I quote, you will never have to worry about that here. You'll never hit a glass ceiling at Grace Midtown. We need you and you are important. Mm. Two weeks later, I get pulled into a meeting before church where he tells me, hey, I'm really sorry to do this, but we can't let you lead because that would be the leadership of Grace Midtown making a statement that we're not prepared to make yet. Hmm. I wasn't even, it was like, we were studying, we were doing get to know you questions. We were like, you know, singing little cute little worship songs. I wasn't indoctrinating anyone. And also, I made an agreement with my other co-leaders who didn't know where they stood. I said, I won't make a big deal out of it. We're here to study the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And so just to bring it up, I said, like, listen, I'm, I will never, ever tell anyone what to believe. I'll only share my experience in what I believe, which mm-hmm. is what we're here to do anyways. Yeah. And I thought, like, I, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm part of the mission of this church. I'm plugging. I'm doing life as an authentic gay Christian. And... um. And so when I start, finally started to be myself, you know, it, it got quickly hidden, you know. Hmm. We love you, but you just can't. You, I'm so sorry. We just can't. Yeah. And so uh, that and I told my pastor at that time because I there is this interesting um, it's like a Stockholm syndrome in some ways mm-hmm. that evangelicalism has over so many people. They're mm-hmm. in a church where they're miserable but they stay for a number of reasons. Well, I've been here forever. I've invested all of my time here. Oh, I've got so many friendships and relationships here. Oh, I care about the mission of this church so much. They don't fucking want you. Mm. And that's what it felt like. It's just like, we don't, they do not want you, Kevin. And yet, you know what I did? I dug my heels in and I was going to like, you know what? I'm going to make this miserable for them. Mm. Um, But mostly because I didn't want to lose. I'm a Christian. I belong here. So what the fuck if I'm gay? 
like, this is wrong. And I'm going to make, like, I was very into activist mode. So I organized the queers and got them together. And we were having meetings and we were pushing things. And I got them to mention, uh, at the same time as uh, there was, like, Philando Castile happened on the same weekend as Pulse. And I made sure my church said something about it. And I said, if you don't, I will cause a scene. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I... um. I, uh, I, for about a year and some change, I did all this work, started a new house church, didn't ask permission, led all pretty much by all queer people from Grace Midtown. Mm-hmm. And one of the pastors let us meet in his home for the summer until I got a call from him saying, hey, the elder board says, I can't let you meet in my house anymore. And basically it was either like, you can't let these queer people meet in your house anymore. Uh or it's your job. Jeez. And like, this is a man who has two babies and a wife who is taking care of the kids full time. It's like, this, like, he what did, are you supposed to do? Exactly. Yeah. You put him in a position where he had to compromise his values to lie to people, to tell people in his charge and in his spiritual care, I'm sorry, but I can't choose you because if I choose you, marginalized queer person whom I sincerely loved, my family goes hungry. Oh. I'm never going to ask a man to choose between his family and me. Hmm. Like, how could you ask that of somebody? And that is what they did. That is what churches do all the time. And so this is what gets me so fucking pissed off is like, ugh, hold on, breathe. Oh, got some passion there. Come on. Um, so when I was coming out in that space, it wasn't welcome. And on my 28th birthday, I had a meeting with the lead pastor where they told me, oh, I'm so sorry, but we, uh, we've elected to... Um, sign on with the biblical, quote unquote, biblical interpretation of marriage according to the Grace family of churches, which is between marriages between one man and one woman. Yeah. And at that point, he was like, well, you know, we're going to, I asked him just like, so what does this mean for your queer congregants? Are we still members? Like, what if I'm, what if I get married? Am I still a member then? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, that's right. Because you haven't fucking thought past being able to play in the sandbox with your little friends. You don't care about what's doing, what's, what is right and what is wrong. You care about yourself. You mm. care about your comfort, which again, totally understandable. That's what capitalism taught you to do. But it's not what Jesus taught you to do. Because mm. last time I checked, Jesus said, whatever you did unto the least of these, you did to me. Because let me tell you what, you have rejected the Christ in me. And so therefore, Jesus might as well be rejecting you before his father. It is a mm-hmm. disgrace, that choice. Ooh. Now, I did not say yeah. all this out loud in the moment because I was just <laughs> pretty, I was on the verge of tears the whole time. Yeah. So every time I, I, I make a podcast like this, I'm just like, should I send it to him? Should I send it to him <laughs> just so he knows what I wanted to say? <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. So yeah, um, I left that congregation and um didn't do church for about a year and i'm a part Mm of a queer baptist queer black baptist congregation in atlanta it's not all the way queer but it's a lot of queer people like 80 percent queer Mm -hmm. um and nobody it's like one of those things like we're uh, it's 
if I was ever to go to any other church, it would need to be close to this. Um, mm. I love them so much. And they love me, which is nice. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, that's a smidge. Sorry to go off like that. No, I totally, didn't realize yeah. that that was all in there. Whew. No, it, it sounded like you, you needed to talk about it. Apparently, um, apparently. Yeah. Before we go any further, I, I just want to say as someone who has, um, I've never been a pastor. I've been a leader. Mm. Um, but as someone who has perpetuated that kind of culture in the church, for what it's worth, I want to apologize to you. Um, never as someone who, who has, has, uh, even in small ways been complicit in systems that have rejected people like that. Mm. Um, so I just want to I just want to say that to you. I I feel like I need to say that to you. Mm, I received um, that. And the, yeah. the, this is what I think is so interesting and lovely, is that, uh, I definitely receive that uh, because that's heartfelt and that's from you. And at the same time, is that like this is what repentance looks like? Is right here, is what you did. It's hmm. like I have changed my mind about what I thought because how I was thinking was leading to my actions, which was leading me to hurt you. That's mm. what repentance is. Change your mind for the forgiveness of your sins. And what did uh, Zacchaeus, you know, Jesus rolled up on Zacchaeus and, and, you know, after Zacchaeus said, I'm going to pay it all back. And then some Jesus said, yeah. you know, salvation has come to this house to stay for even this one is a son of Abraham. Even this one who has like done all the stupid shit can still make it right. And so I mm. look at myself, I look at all the people who have betrayed me, and I look at them with pity saying, repent for the forgiveness of your sins, because guess what? You don't have to keep being a dick. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh. well, well, it goes back to what you said earlier, Kevin, the why would you think something bad about yourself or even other people when you could think of something lovely? Yes. And and good. It, it, I, it just it blows my mind sometimes when I when I when I look back on yeah. it. Yeah, I just don't think like there being a lot of these folks. Well, like no, here's the deal. Like there are evangelicals out there who do not have a grasp of like anything beyond the world that they've ever lived in. So like mm. my feeling for them is pity. I'm like you really don't know. like I'm not, in my heart of hearts, and I need like just because you don't know does not give you an excuse to continue to perpetuate violence in people. Mm. But it is how I sleep at night. Um, it's just realizing that people don't do better because they sincerely don't know better yet. Hmm. Um, and the people who do know better, those are the ones I get angry with. It's the ones mm. who are like, you are flesh up. Like you are flesh to flesh with this thing that you're just trying to ignore, these people you're trying to ignore with this moral calling, you know you are supposed to, to, to follow despite all the things that you're going to lose. Because guess what Jesus said? If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll find it, right? Mm. If, you, if you keep holding on to this power that you think you are, you are going to lose everything. Because that's how the shit works. You'll lose your soul. You lose your integrity. You lose your heart. You lose the thing that makes you you. And mm. so the Jesus invitation, I think, or the invitation of the Jesus invitation, good God, the invitation of Jesus is just do better. 
Change hmm. your mind. Do better. Stop feeling guilty. There's no reason to feel guilty. You like your sins have been forgiven. Just do the next. But <laughs> it's like, uh, I think is Ezekiel is just like learn. Like it's very simple. Stop doing what is evil and learn to do what is right. That's hmm. all God wants. Yeah, that's all we any of us want, really. Right? Yeah. Well, it it seems like so much of it is is kind of a displacement from the concept of the least of these Mm -hmm. is it's like you're able to scholastically look at passages that talk about it and be like, oh, well, that's the Samaritan. That's the tax collector. That's the um, that's the woman at the well. That's not Mm. uh, my gay neighbor, my trans coworker. That's not George Floyd. That's Mm. not these people. Mm -hmm. Like it's a weird kind of I don't know if it's the right word, but cognitive dissonance between this I, this modern concept yeah. of the least of these and this ancient concept of the least yeah, of these. Yeah, because whiteness superimposes itself onto all of these biblical stories. And so it, mm. it centers the, the one and the singular and the me. And so yeah. we're taught to see ourselves as the woman at the well. We're taught to see ourselves as the person who has been healed by God. Uh, and, you know, and that is proof of God's favor on us, that we said yes in whatever way. Mm. Um but what's interesting is that the people who see themselves in these uh, um, lower estates in scripture, like people who see themselves as the woman at the well or the Ethiopian eunuch or all these other things, uh, that's the wrong place to see yourself. You need to like, because mm. uh, whiteness has disguised itself as as the good guy and not the empire that killed Jesus. The empire mm. that was taxing uh, the people of Israel, about 90% of what they created. 90%. That is hella oppression. They had nothing. And Jesus yeah. came along and said, what if we took care of each other? You know, we could, like, what if, you know, what if power doesn't lie with the empire? What if power doesn't yeah. lie in all of these, like, religious systems that you have been clinging to uh, in order for you to feel safe? you know, to be a, you know, to be a good Jewish person, you know, to be a, or to be a good Hebrew or whatever they would call themselves. Um, and Jesus came along and said, no, no, guys, 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 no, 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 you're missing the point. And I think that we've been missing. the And then, and then Jesus died and, you know, did whatever Jesus did after that. And uh, 2000 years later, <laughs> we are doing the same thing. We're living in yeah. an empire that is, uh, you know, killing us, and uh, we don't re- like we don't recognize that America is the empire that killed Jesus and is killing, yeah, uh, killing us and killing our black friends and killing queer folks and killing women and killing indigenous folks and trans women, especially black trans women. Like mm. we could go on and on and on, but that is why. I still like Jesus because Jesus was the person who said it with, you know, said it with his full chest, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Dang. Preach. Preach it. That's where I go. Uh, I'm sorry. Like I get on these like long things. <sighs> no, it's great. It, it makes it. That's, that's kind of the job of a podcast host is to let, let the guests talk and, and hope that they talk. <laughs> that is say, true say some some profound stuff which which you have um thanks and 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 we've kind of talked around it but you wrote a book called called bad theology kills and 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 for myself i told you before we started recording 
But growing up reformed, it was kind of this like, well, you have to have good doctrine because if you don't have good doctrine, then you're a false teacher. And if you're a false teacher, you're going to hell. And so it was kind of this like, uh, once I kind of deconstructed what uh, I never really, again, had this concrete Mm -hmm. idea of what good theology is, good versus bad theology. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I, we, like I said, we've kind of talked around the ideas, um, but I'm interested just to hear like what, what is good theology and, and what is bad mm, theology? Right. Uh, well, I would say bad theology is any belief system and or practice that would lead somebody to feeling separated from God and how that manifests itself is all sorts of ways. Uh, you know, uh, feeling sad, feeling depressed about who you are, feeling, like you're not good enough, feeling that you have to constantly perform for your worth, feeling like your worth is tied to who you have not had sex with, um, to assenting mm-hmm. to a certain level of ideals that maybe you do or do not agree with, but you have to agree with them, otherwise you're going to hell, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I would I would say bad theology, like it's, uh, if bad theology, like if the end result is death, when I say bad theology kills, I literally mean that. Mm. Um, and so contextually, I would say, um, when I say bad theology kills, and this is something that I wrote in the book, when I say bad theology kills, I mean that uh, somebody, a white man walked into um, a, a black church in Charlottesville and killed nine people. Uh, what I mean is that we spend more on police than we do on education um, and also more on the U.S. military uh, than any than than healthcare. Mm. Like we are the only country on Earth that has bases in other countries. <laughs> and no and notice how we don't have any base foreign bases here in the U.S. It's not because <laughs> we're trying to be diplomatic and help people out. It's because it's a fucking scare tactic. Yeah. <sighs> Um, let's go further. Jeez. When I say bad yeah. theology kills, I mean that you can be the president of the United States, never read the Bible, never pray for forgiveness, tear gas a crowd, shoot them with rubber bullets, um, grab women by the pussy, and you can still be considered Christian. That's bad theology. Mm. You know what else is bad theology? The fact that, you know, we can believe more in a white cop who knelt on somebody's neck than the footage we saw of him kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Oh, yeah. That's bad theology. So conversely, what is good theology? Good theology is every single belief about God and practice that leads us to abundant life now. Mm. So what does that look like lived out? Affirming theology 101 is it stops queer people from killing themselves. So on a personal note, I really like that a lot. Mm. Um, Hmm. on a community level, if we truly believe in a good theology that God really does love everybody, well then does that, does love, you know, love one another as I have loved you. And what did Jesus do? He met people's physical needs. Oh, you crippled? Let me give you a healing. Oh, you hungry? Let me feed you. Oh, you are, you are a woman cast out of society. Let me bring you into the fold. Jesus met people's physical needs. And then he said, love one another as I have loved you. And that is what love looks like. That's good theology. It's both making sure we are taking care of each other, the community, and also at the same time, because if you have your your needs met, 
you're not gonna this is and this is like one of the things I believe is like why we should defund the police um mm. is because if you create and believe in a society where we can grow and take care of one another and yes that's idealistic but guess what so is Jesus if you can do that yeah you've accomplished like the kingdom of God at hand hallelujah mm. that is that was literally that's literally kingdom vision but the problem is we don't live in that idyllic world yet. And so good theology looks like getting in the streets and working with organizers to help stop anything that would get in the way of people experiencing the fullness of life now. To do the work of Christ is to provide for people's needs. And what people re need right now is to is help staying alive because cops are killing them. You know, what we need right now, as far as the earth is concerned as well, is like we need to figure out how to be carbon neutral now. Hmm. So it really, it's one of those things where it's very simple. What if we all just did the right thing? Just all at once. We all just decided to stop and just do the right thing. It's very simple. Hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it's, man, it, it kind of blows my mind that that's such a, controversial idea and mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of that mm -hmm. just comes from kind of that evangelical programming like we talked about earlier how the the flesh is evil above all else right. so you're right. kind of programmed to think that you can't do the right thing yeah i was talking with my friend rosella recently um and it's self-referential it's on my podcast um but rosella said she's a she's a black woman and a, a like me she's a spiritual life coach um, mm -hmm. but she said the thing that she encounters in so many white people that she doesn't encounter in black people or people of color is, uh, agency, like this belief in our own agency and power, like white people and white mm -hmm. passing people. Typically, like if you were socialized as a white person, you really just don't think you have any ability as like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just an individual. And again, that's part <laughs> of the empire's plot to individualize yeah. you to make it about you it's about you it's about your comfort and uh not about the community because we think that to belong to another community is to lose an identity when really the spirit of god is include everything exclude nothing include everything that is true and that's it because only true things actually exist mm. so it's really asking you to abandon your own illusions about yourself Jeez. Oh, Jesus Christ. Easier said than done, right? Yeah. Um, yes and no. Yeah. I think the only reason we don't do it is because we don't want to do it. And mm. I'll just say that I'm guilty of that. Um, but uh, Course in Miracles would say that, like, there's no order of difficulties in miracles. And the miracle truly is just the change of mind. Um. And the change of mind is demonstrated by the actions that I take. Um, mm. And so if I believe that I'm able to change my mind about anything at any time, for whatever reason I need to, to in order to agree with truth, um, then it's not, it's not difficult. It's just different. You know? Mm. And that's yeah. kind of like my mantra with like all of this stuff. It's not difficult. It's just different. And people yeah. label different as hard or bad. But really like, it's not difficult to move money around. Hmm. The only the only thing that stands between you and them are people, which again, like 
Sure, that is complicated. But then again, I believe that there's no difficult order of difficulties in miracle in miracles. Hmm. You know, Jesus did it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think miracles are? Like, Mm. I I think there's a lot of talk of like what I mean, you you listen to someone like Thomas J. Ord or you uh, listen listen to someone like Dallas Willard. Um, We're talking about like manifestations and healings and visions and shit. Like, like how do you think that works? Oh, God, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, here's the thing is like I have I have I'm somebody who I have experienced a supernatural healing from Mm. the laying on of hands in my body. And I don't know how to qualify that sometimes. I'm just like, well, God did something. Spirit did something because I, you know, suffering with reactive arthritis in my feet one second. And the next moment I was able to walk around with no pain. So riddle me that. Mm. Um, And I kind of, but the thing about it is, is that healing, things like healing and miracles and apparitions of spirits and, um, the ability to commune with God, uh, those things are not just Christian things. Like there have been holy people all over the world who have encountered the Holy Spirit uh, in whatever name they call her. Um, mm. And so it's one of those things where just like I, in my Christian worldview, I experienced a very particular vein of what the Spirit was doing. And it was beautiful and wonderful and it changed my life. Um, and then I still experience, so like there I have experienced like, you know, personal quote unquote miracles myself, but the definition of miracle that I think about most often is from A Course in Miracles, which is a metaphysical text, um, penned in 1975. But the text says that the miracle is literally every single moment that you choose to return to love. Mm. Every single second that you just, that you remember that it's okay. Every single moment that you take a deep breath and you come back to this place of peace, that's a miracle to change your mind about yourself. Cause you think about it. Like I think about it like this, like we get to change as often as we want to as human beings with higher cognitive functions. Trees don't get to do that. Trees in some ways, it's one of those, it's a paradox that are they more free than us? Because a tree, I don't think, gets mad about the fact that its leaves are green or what color it flowers. Um, no more than the bush does. No more than the grass underneath it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's just blooming and growing and, you know, apparently turning sunlight into food. How the fuck does that work, first of all? <laughs> like, you're just, oh, it's through photosynthesis. Yeah, 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 I get that. But, like, you're telling me that you, you can turn light into food? Like, that's incredible. That's a miracle, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. And then for me, like to believe that God loves me when for my entire life, I thought God, most of my life, I thought God hated me. That's a miracle. When my mother shows up and loves me for who I am rather than being like, you know, I brought my partner home for Christmas one year um, and my mother was so amazing. That's a miracle. Mm. You know, every single moment, every single time to hope for the best in humanity, you know? And also Hmm. just like, you know, like maybe healing will happen. Maybe we'll get those things that we want, but it's not about that because like the miracle is always present. God's presence, God's love is always present. It is just whether or not we are able to see it. It's our willingness Hmm. to see it. 
It's our willingness yeah. to take off, you know, to stop looking at all these illusions and all these fearful projections that we made up and just turn back to what's true. Mm. So that's how I would define a miracle. It's every, it's a miracle is literally a thought. Hmm. Dang. It, it, it's interesting. It, it reminds me of, uh, I don't, I don't know how familiar you, how, excuse me, how familiar you are with the work of Dallas Willard. I am not um, familiar at all, to be honest. He, so his book, the divine conspiracy is what triggered my deconstruction process. Nice. Um, but very philosophically minded person. Um, but towards the end of his life, one of his friends was kind of collecting his thoughts and all these things. And they were taking a walk and talking about a tsunami that had just happened. And the guy joked and said, where's Moses when you need him? Hmm. And Dallas stopped and he said, I don't know. Like, imagine this was how he defined miracles. And as you were talking, it just reminded me of this. But he said, imagine someone so in tune and so surrendered mm. to the power of God in themselves <sighs> that they could accomplish that. Yeah. Like where are those people? And so, Oh, like gosh. I'll tell you where those people are. They're in, <laughs> they're in a dozen other religious traditions that the church has late labeled as demonic. Mm. Like I'm dead yeah. serious. Like I have yeah. uh, acquaintances and people that I know within like certain magical practices. I have a, uh, I have a connection with a, a hoodoo queen down in, um, uh, what is it? It's not, um, uh, Mobile. She's in Mobile. Mm -hmm. Um, but she, listen, she's, I don't know what she got, but she got it. She's in tune mm -hmm. with spirit. She knows what she's doing. She's in touch with her ancestors and she knows how to work it. And mm -hmm. I, as somebody who has used her services before, Lord, she's like, She's a holy woman. Like, mm. I don't know what el how else to explain it in other terms. It's just like, they, she's she knows God. Like, I know mm. God. You know? And just like you know God, yeah. you just don't know that you know God as good as you do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's That's... just like, the only thing that separates me from her is the, is the fact that I think that I'm separate from her. Mm. You know? Yeah. Jeez. Well, that... So much to think about, and I wish we had so much more time to talk. Yeah, um, we could do I, it I'd again. Have... Let's do it again sometime. It'll be delightful. Yeah, yes, please. I'd I'd love that. Um, but in the meantime, where can people find you, and and what are you working on right now? Yeah, uh, right now I am currently um, kind of transitioning some of my work stuff. Um, I loaded up and had a whole lot of. I had a full client load, and it really kind of overwhelmed me. So what I'm doing now is beginning to work um beginning to work into a more of a group coaching modality um i've developed a curriculum that i'm really excited about about reimagining faith and practices and examining all the things that we think that we know um so it's like curriculum practice group coaching um all rolled into one and so if, if that is something that interests you you can hit me up at thekevingarcia.com slash coaching or something like that. Just go to my website, mm -hmm. look it up. Um, other things, uh, A Tiny Revolution, my podcast is finally back because I needed to take a little bit of a hiatus for mental health. And mm -hmm. now it's back. And I'm also working on re bringing back my other podcast, Thoughts and Prayers, spelled T-H-O-T-S and prayers, <laughs> um, which I believe is, 
uh, I want to say it's going to be back up by the end of July. We're going to put it out there just because every single time I say I'm going to do it next week, I don't. So I'm going to give myself a mm-hmm. wide berth for this. <laughs> what else? Um, I'm doing yoga every day. So that's something I'm working on. Um, <laughs> I'm still going to therapy and taking my meds. I'm working on my mental health. I'm going to have uh, a Zoom date uh, on Saturday, you know, working on my romantic life. Heck yeah. So... I can't believe that I'm gonna go on a Zoom date, which is, you know, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm just like, man, oh, there's nothing like going to a bar and like sitting outside with somebody and then saying, hey, do you want to like go smoke a joint real quick? And then we go smoke a joint, and then like we're having a really good time, and then making out a little bit, and then I go home. I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my man. god, I'm so lonely. Send help. You know, it, it, you're the first person that I've ever interviewed that when I ask, what are you working on, mentions things that they're personally working on. Mm. And I think that that's so awesome. And yeah. so, so cool. I mean, I, 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 part of the reason I do this is so that I can promote people's work that has impacted me. Mm. But I don't know. I It, it was really cool yeah. that you took that moment to be like, this is what I'm working on in myself yeah. as well as some of the stuff I'm working on outwardly. Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about those things as any human who is like uh, doing public work, um, because I think a lot of people like, I mean, regardless of what we think, how woke or amazing we are, we always kind of make a projection of people, mm. and we don't mean to, and so I try to keep my shit really normal and. I really like, it's one of those things where like, I want people to be over, un- I want people to be underwhelmed when they meet me. It's like, oh, it's just a normal, just a normal weird, just a normal bearded guy with red lipstick. It's fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, and also like people don't want to talk about what they're personally working on because it feels gross sometimes. Mm. Um, I mean, the other thing I'm personally working on just to bring it full circle and keep going a little bit is like, I'm working on um, my uh, my relationship with my own personal masculinity and like what does it mm. mean to be a man when I'm still genderqueer or what does masculinity even look like and why do I feel afraid of men's spaces when hmm. I was socialized to be a man my whole life. It's very interesting shadow work and all of it's like gross and it makes me vulnerable and I hate it. I don't really hate it. I mm. actually love it. My ego just tells me that I hate it, but in reality, yeah. like that's the thing. Here's a trick, and then I'll stop talking. Um, whenever you think about vulnerability, you say, "Oh, I hate that." Just automatically say, "Actually, no, I love it," and just mm. just trick yourself. The brain is a magical thing. You can program it to do basically anything you want. So that's a way of just reprogramming yourself. Like when you have an aversion to doing your spiritual practices, just say, "Oh, I don't want to do that." Actually, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Even if you don't do it, just tell yourself you do it. You want to do it. And then eventually you'll do what you want. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, Kevin, I usually try to end this time. Uh, the show's kind of about spiritual practices. And, and so mm-hmm. one of the things that I genuinely believe is lacking mm-hmm. within all spaces, whether they be just social or religious or political or, mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, is just they get the practice of encouraging one another. Yes. And so I just really want to take a moment to mm. encourage you 
and thank you for what you're doing. And I appreciate the boldness in which you confront bad theology. Um, I, I, I think for so many of us who grew up in, um, in evangelicalism and have left evangelicalism, there was kind of this precedent of silence. Yeah. And there are people that come along um, who lay the groundwork and might take a lot of the brunt of, of people's resistance or people's slander or people's uh, whatever. I think uh, Rachel Held Evans was one of those people. She really was. But I, I just want to say, I see you as one of those mm. people. And so I just really like, I, I, I thank you for what you're doing because it's encouraging to me mm. to be more vocal when I see uh, bad theology again, mm. but in a, in a good way yeah, and in a Christ-like way. Yeah. And so thank you. Thank you. I received those words. That's incredibly kind. And I am appreciative that you said it because mm, that blessed me. Seriously. Thank you. I'm glad. Absolutely. Mm. Well, it was great talking to you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. You're the best. Thank you.